0: Church, open your Bibles. This morning we are going to be back in the book of 1 Corinthians, and this morning we are in chapter 7. Let me get my Bible open here. Well, we um, are in a series that I've entitled Untangled. And if you have been here with us for a number of weeks, you know that uh, I'm calling it Untangled Because Paul deals with five very large topics, five big issues with the church in Corinth. And they're applicable to them back in the first century as well as to us. We're in the second of those very big topics which deals with marriage and singleness. And today we're going to talk pointedly about singleness. Singleness for years has gotten a bad rap in society as well as unfortunately in the church. People who are single have been made to feel at times as though they lead a life that's well less than complete. And if you're especially a woman and you get to that age of maybe 30, 35, or maybe even heaven forbid, 40, and you're not married yet, there is this sense in which, well, there's some sorrow around that somehow. And there's a stigma, as it were, around um, being single. Uh, just to get a perspective on singleness in our country today, between the ages of 18 and 35, 6 in 10 individuals uh, have no spouse or are, are not in a married live-in situation, or excuse me, a live-in situation. I'm not advocating that. I'm only stating that, again, nationwide, that is the demographic. 6 out of 10 people lead a single life. But there continues to be, again, a stigma around singleness. Singleness somehow somehow means Uh, deficient in our minds in some way. And um, I really appreciate the uh, quote from uh, Christopher Wan. He wrote the book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. And I want to thank Carla Dorsey for uh, giving giving me this resource. He says in America, not that one quite yet. I'll come to that one in just a moment. In America, being unmarried is cast in a negative light, he says. Our childhood uh, is one in which we sense this undercurrent of uh, this negativity towards marriage or towards singleness, rather. And here's what he says. He says, you can even think of it in the fairy tales. And in the fairy tales, we say, and they were married and lived happily ever after. So we're even baking that into childhood that singleness somehow is not uh, the best, as it were. Today, I have a goal, and my goal is to right-size our thinking about singleness. And I I want to make sure that we're thinking about singleness in more of a biblical fashion than we are in a cultural fashion. Because too often, I think we take cultural cues about what singleness, singleness is all about, and we don't listen to the scriptures about this topic. Let me just come right out and say, the Bible speaks very positively about singleness, and if you only think of two people that are some pretty big names in the Bible, namely one, Jesus, and namely number two, the writer of this book, Paul the Apostle, both of whom were single, you have to get a, a positive example already that singleness is something that is a good station in life, and there's something that the Bible applauds, and something that the Bible celebrates. Um, let's be clear also about something else. Those individuals that are single are also celibate in the Scriptures, meaning that they are not in a culture like we have today in which somebody would stay single but pursue a hookup in some way. That's not what is the Bible's idea of singleness. Celibacy is combined with it, and it's somebody who's single or unmarried, but who remains sexually faithful before the Lord. Let's also remember that singleness is, excuse me, or marriage is not the utmost ideal for all of the Christian life. Now's that quote. Now's where I want to go back to Christopher Wan again, and he says this, ultimate contentment comes not from marriage, but from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether we're married or single, Jesus did not die so that we could have marriage. He died so that we could have him. Can I just hear an amen to that? Amen. I mean, that, that's why Jesus has come, to give Himself to us, not, not to give marriage to us. So that's not the ultimate ideal, and it's not the thing that we hold out as is as, as our ultimate goal in life. I want you to hear me very clearly today. To be single has certain benefits. It has certain ways that, that benefit life for the individual who is single. And it's as an acceptable station in life within the, the, the church, as is a married life. And yet we still battle in making singleness seem normal or actually we really would battle in making singleness seem actually good. Uh, We we face those difficulties because subtly or indirectly we continue to describe the conviction that singles are unfinished business in some way. Here's the way it comes out. Uh, Aren't you married yet? Maybe might be the question. What's a nice girl like you doing unmarried? Uh, What you need is a really good wife we might tell a man. Found anybody yet to date? I'm praying that the Lord will lead you to a good guy. Those all might be things that we would say. Parents might say that. Relatives might say that. Family reunions are over the top with that, right? Maybe that's why you know, it's tough to go to family reunions at times because statements like that would be made. We need to accept the legitimacy of singleness primarily because the Bible does. And that issue of legitimacy of singleness is what I want to talk to you about today. Your Bibles are open. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm starting today in verse 25. And we're going to read through the balance of this chapter. Here's where Paul picks up. Now concerning the betrothed. By the way, some of you are reading right now perhaps in your Bible. Maybe it's the NIV. And it says there, now concerning the virgins. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, If his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It's no sin, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marrying will do even better." A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord, meaning a person who is a fellow believer. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. I think I too have the Spirit of God. Let's all remember that all of us either have been single at some times in our lives or will be single. You you came into this world single. You went through your childhood and adolescence single. Some of you have a lifetime of singleness. Some of you today are single because your husband or wife has died or perhaps you've become divorced. All of us have an interest in singleness because it's a stage in life for all of us at some time. Paul deals entirely in chapter 7 on the issue of singleness and marriage And I want you to remember back to week one. Week one, he was saying that a husband and wife are called to serve one another. And yes, intimacy and sexual intimacy is part of that whole service one to another. And remember, that was our Victoria's Secret week, and so that was a couple weeks ago. And then last week, Paul was so determined, again, to get one idea across to us, he said it three times, remain as you are. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. He says don't seek to be somewhere else other than where you are immediately because God can use you where you are right now. Now, last, in, the, in the last week or two weeks ago, um, we were talking a little bit about also singleness, and I just touched on that very briefly, and I said, well, we're going to show up in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about that as our main topic, and that's where we are today. So today I want to make a case for the goodness of, of singleness. That's what I want to do. And I want to cover three benefits of singleness. Three ways that singleness can benefit you, can benefit the kingdom of God, can benefit the church. And so I want to make that case today for you for the goodness of singleness. But before we get to that spot There is one main interpretive issue in the passage. It was right there at the front end of it. And I want to make sure you're grasping what the problem is and how it's been resolved for some people. And it starts off again by Paul saying, now to those who are, and again, he uses uh, uh, the word virgin there. But some people are trying to interpret what he actually means by that. So some are saying, now to the betrothed. So which is it, Paul, and why are we translating that word perhaps differently? And who are you exactly talking to? There's two common beliefs about what this means, and I have that up there for you today from the ESV that I was reading from, or perhaps some of you are reading from the NIV. And let me explain those two options to you today and tell you where I land. First of all, he says, if you're NIV, to the virgins or the virgin daughters, And if you take that uh, understanding of this passage, he's probably talking to the parents of women who are of marriable age. And so he's saying, I want to talk to you about these virgin daughters, they're ones who are of marriable age, and what you should consider if you're thinking about them becoming married. Again, ancient world, women were married at probably a much younger age, and parents were intimately involved in that whole process, so that's one option. The other option is he's actually talking to betrothed couples or engaged couples, and he's talking to them about whether they should follow through and actually get married because they've been betrothed already. And that's the translation that's favored here in the ESV. Let's remember ancient world, and there are two main events that's part of the process of becoming married. There's two bookends, as it were, that act. The first bookend is to become betrothed, And to become betrothed means that the families come together. They decide that these two are going to be married. They have a massive party in order to celebrate that. And they also have the determination of uh, almost the contract, as it were, of what the bride price will be. That's commonly sometimes called the dowry. And so that bride price is going to be paid to the bride's family. Why? Well, kind of in logical terms, they're losing a set of hands that could advance the family. And so to lose those hands, they're compensated for that. Again, I'm speaking in very crass terms, but that's kind of the idea here, is that you're losing a person that could be good for the family, and it's being transferred to the father's family. And so again, there's this bride price that is paid. As it were, if you're betrothed, you still live apart. You have not consummated the marriage yet. The young lady still lives with her parents, and the young man with his parents. And now they don't live together until the time of marriage in which he goes and he picks up his bride at her family's house, along with the all entourage of all the maids that are going to come with her. He takes her to the wedding ceremony where they are married, and now they get to live together, and guess where they live? Most commonly in the father's house, in the groom's father's house. So there's a room set aside for them in the father's house, and that's where they go to live. That's the process of the ancient world and marriage. And if you hold to the view that he's talking to the betrothed, then he's talking to individuals who are pledged to be married, but they're not married yet. And again, ESV tilts that way. It's the predominant view today. It's probably where I I land in light of kind of all the words and the sentences that Paul has constructed structured here together. But I'm here to say, I mean, I wouldn't die for that. I mean, there's a lot of other individuals that see it on the other side, and, and I can be good with that. But as a result of this, I think Paul's speaking today to three groups of people. He's speaking to the betrothed who are pledged to be married but are not yet. He's speaking to those that are not betrothed, but they're still single. And he's speaking to individuals who have had a a spouse but that spouse has died and now they face the decision of whether or not they should remain single or get married again. So all three of those groups are being spoken to. All right, let's get into the heart of the passage and let's explore the three benefits of singleness. Three ways that singleness is a very positive thing biblically. The first benefit of singleness is it's easier to weather worldly troubles. It's easier to weather worldly troubles. In fact, um, I've got uh, the the passage for this one is uh, in verse 26. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. And in verse 28, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would wish to spare you that. So Paul's saying that there is a present distress. There's a present problem, and we're not quite sure what he means by that. Does Paul mean that there's a current problem in Corinth, that there's some issue that is forcing upon them right now? Maybe there's a famine of some kind, or there's a recession of some kind, or there's a a persecution of some kind that would make married life more difficult. Or is he just saying, you know, we do know that the Lord is coming back, and so when the Lord is on His way back, there's going to become heated times, there's going to become troubles in the world. We're not quite sure what Paul means here. And when we look back at history and there was no famine or there was no concern as it were in Corinth, so we're not quite sure what exactly Paul means by this present distress or this present set of troubles. Here's what we do know. Everyone in the world, is, everybody at all times is going to face worldly troubles, and those are difficulties that we face in life. At some point, you may face joblessness. At some point, you may face some hunger. At some point, you may face an issue of uh, having adequate home around you. And you know some of the dynamics of what that feels like. And here's the point. If you're single, it doesn't mean that you're free from those things. It doesn't mean you get a free pass. But it does mean that you are not going to be forced to look after somebody else. You have the responsibility of looking after yourself, but you don't have somebody else that you have to look after. And so that's, there's a benefit of that. You're better able to weather worldly problems because you don't have that encumbered nature of, of having somebody else around you. I've got a great example of this. It just arrived in the mail to me this week. And it's a friend who's a missionary that, I, that Denise and I support. He's a missionary in Central Asia, and it's a country I can't tell you where it is out of restrictions uh, for security. And I would love to show you the picture of the gal that's in the newsletter. Her name is Esther. And uh, she is, I'm going to guess, maybe about 11 years old. Somebody maybe fifth grade. And uh, in the newsletter, it's saying that they're asking for prayer for Esther. Because Esther comes from a Christian family. She uh, attends a, a local school in a predominantly Muslim country. And individuals have noticed that she doesn't read the Quran and pray five times a day like is required in Islam. And so as a result of that, the parents have begun to put pressure on her and begun to uh, isolate her, as it were. And she is feeling a level of, well, fear. And she's feeling a level of, you know, praying to God for her safety each day. And so they're bringing Esther uh, forward and asking for prayer for her. Uh, That's an example of, again a relationship that if you're married and you have kids, you have to manage. If you're an individual who is single, those are not your concerns, and you can pivot in life more easily. Kids and what they need to eat or uh, what, they, what school they need to attend or, uh, again, putting dwelling around your family, that's not of your major concern, and so you're able to wor- use the word in a word to be more nimble. You're able to be more nimble. Singleness doesn't make you immune to life's challenges, but it does make you less encumbered. And that is a great benefit in the kingdom of God to be able to pivot and go in different directions more quickly. The second benefit of singleness is that you enjoy a detachment from the world that is passing away. And Paul says, again, end of verse 31, he says, and uh, deal with the world as though you had no dealings with with it, For the present form of this world is passing away. Form is is the word that he uses here. It's a Greek word, schema. It's where we get our word scheme from. And so he's saying the whole scheme or the pattern of this world is passing away. The schema implies everything that comes into our senses about the world. It's the things that we see, it's the discourses that we have with people, it's the actions and manners of people, it's customs, music, movie, foods, and he's telling us something about the pattern of this world, the form of this world, he's saying all of that is passing away, all of that is on the way out. And I've got some really troubling news for some of you today, and it's again troubling because well you like marriage and marriage has been very good for you. But I want to remind you that marriage as we know it is not in heaven. Marriage as we know it is something that is very different. And it's, it's not to be concluded and, and taken over into heaven with us. And we know that because Jesus spoke specifically about that. Jesus has these uh, Sadducees that have come to him. And they've told him that, uh, they say, let me paint a picture for you, Jesus. And I don't want to paint a picture for you in which there's a woman who was married seven times. And if she's married seven times, you know, I'd be asking a lot more questions if she lost seven husbands to death. But, but they say, but I, I, want to, I want to ask you this. Uh, who would be her husband in heaven? And Jesus astonishes them and he astonishes them with this passage from uh, Matthew 25. Or excuse me, Matthew 22. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And so Jesus is telling something very important here. He's saying marriage as we know it will not be what is in heaven. we're going to still know each other, I think, well. We're still going to understand what it meant to lead an earthly life with a spouse. But we won't be married as we know it today. And there is a sense in which, if you have never been married, you've got a head start on the rest of us in understanding what heaven is like. And understanding that level of detachment from an individual that, you know, again, we've loved. And the scheme of the world, Paul says, the form of the world, it's passing away. And that's why Paul tells us, I want for everybody to have dealings with the world as if you didn't deal with it. He even goes in and he says, if you've had a wife, I want you to pretend that you didn't have a wife. Or if you mourn, you didn't mourn. Or if you rejoice, you didn't rejoice. And I read that again this week and I thought, that's kind of wacky. I mean, Paul, what what are you saying there? I'm supposed to be happy but not really happy? Sad but not really sad? And I think this is what he means. Happiness or sadness, joy, all those are good emotions. But those are not the emotions that... Uh, as it were, are decisive for us. There's other things that are more important to us than those emotions that we have in that moment. And so he's saying, I I don't want you to be capsized by any of those things. I don't want you to be uh, viewing those as the thing that makes you somebody who, you know, makes you you or or completely disintegrates you. I want you to be somebody that has a different perspective on life and that uh, is holding all of that very loosely. You're holding loosely life, you're holding loosely possessions, you're holding loosely jobs and money, and all of those things are loosely held and not tightly held on to because the form of this world, again, is passing away. Denise and I, during uh, COVID, have really enjoyed a show, which is the British Baking Cook-Off. Some of you may have watched that show, and again, all these people that are amateur bakers come together, and they're called to do these amazing baking feats. And, you know, I've learned a couple things. I'm no baker, but I've learned a couple things by watching some of those shows. And one of the things that I've learned is that if you knead your dough too much, it doesn't work. If you want a flaky crust, you kind of get one time to knead your dough. And if you don't, you know, if you over knead it, then you're not going to have that flaky dough. And so there's this issue of handling the dough in just the right fashion and not overworking it. That's exactly what Paul's saying here is, handling life in the right way and not overworking it, not, not pressing into it so much that you're squeezing the life out of it because, again, the form of this world is passing away. And I would argue, singles, you have a head start on the rest of us because you're beginning to understand the transitory nature of our world. I'm not advocating that singleness is easier. I'm not ag- advocating that it's a piece of cake. I know there's lonely days, there's lonely nights, there's a sting to singleness. But God may be saying to you that there is a head start that you're getting in understanding the detachment from this world through your singleness. And that may be a gift to you, and it may be a gift to the rest of the church to understand some of that in a more profound way. All right, there's a third benefit to singleness I want you to see. And it's that you can enjoy an undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the, of the Lord, how to please him. 30, verse 35, I say to this to your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your, here it is, undivided devotion to the Lord. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus is required to have a devotion to the Lord. And by devotion, I don't mean here just a quiet time where you pray or say the Scriptures. That's a very important part of your devotional life, but that's not the sum total of it. By devotion, we mean a condition of the heart and mind in which we obey Jesus. If you want to know whether or not you are uh, measuring your devotional life, it really is as simple as saying, am I understanding the words of Jesus and am I saying yes to those? Paul teaches that when we are single, it's easier to have a full-hearted devotion to the Lord. Why? Because we don't have divided loyalties. Anybody who is married has a divided heart automatically because you're facing the decision, do I spend some time with the Lord or do I care for this crying child? And I've been around many, many people recently who've had some babies and you know, you know know the drill here. You know, you're, you're, you're used to sleeping in as it were and you're used to having an extra cup of coffee in the morning. And now you're waking up to a crying child and you're saying, okay, do I, do I go spend some time in prayer or do I change this diaper? And I mean, at that point, you're just trying to survive. I mean, that's really what it's about at that point in your life. And Paul's saying there is something uh, to this the single life, which means that you have a, a primary devotion. You have a devotion that's less cluttered and you don't have somebody else that you have to care for and so you're able to pour your full energies into your devotion to the Lord. Can I bring to you the example of one of the great men of the faith in the 20th century and up into the 21st century and he was a single guy and the guy is John Stott and many of you know him because he's a famous speaker, a famous writer. Uh, He's written more than 50 books. He died in 2011 and uh, John Stott is a great example of somebody who led a single life. He visited more than 100 countries. He ministered all the way into his 80s. More than 50 books to his his credit, to his authorship. One of them being basic Christianity that's been translated into multiple languages and sold millions of copies worldwide. And again, I'm saying John Stott probably had that ministry because he was free to have that ministry. Because he was not encumbered with devotion to anything else. He could be devoted to the Lord. There was one other thing that kind of got his devotion. He was a bird watcher. So he loved to travel around the world and also do some bird watching. But that was about the extent of it. Other than that, he was asking, Lord, where do you have me? Where do you want to send me? And that allowed him to have this worldwide, really global ministry. I am not expecting that if you're single here today, you're going to be exactly like John Stott. You're going to have a, a ministry that that's broad. That's pretty rare. But I will say this, you have a freedom that others may not enjoy to enter in very quickly to another family's life. You may have the freedom to enter into ministry somehow in the church in a time of need that others don't enjoy, and you have this opportunity to serve the Lord. Can I remind you again, this is biblical Christianity here, there's two two kinds of children biblically. There are biological children biblically, and there are spiritual children biblically. And if you are single, you do not have biological children, at least if you're single before you've been married. But if you are a single today, you can have spiritual children, all kinds of them. And in the economy of God, that's just as important as those biological children. And so you get to pour into other people's lives and it's, it's a wonderful thing to watch and a wonderful thing to behold, as, as important to God as biological children are. That's three solid reasons why there are benefits to singleness. And before we apply those, because I want to get to applying those in our church today, I want to take a little detour and go down a little country road and talk about one more thing. And I want to address singleness as a gift from God. It's something that came up two weeks ago. I didn't go into it in a major way. But Paul picked up in chapters 7 through 9, and this is what Paul said. I wish that all were as I myself am. What does he mean by that? I wish everybody was single like I am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. There are individuals that when they hear that passage and they hear the gift of singleness, they start to get nervous. And they get nervous because that gift they say or that that they may be viewed as only for super saints. So if you have the gift of singleness and you can exercise that level of self-control, you're in another stratosphere. And so it almost appears like a cruel joke because some are in the condition of singleness right now, but they haven't been given that gift, and and they don't feel as though they can do that, and so it puts them in this bind, as it were. And so some people get very nervous when we start talking about the gift of singleness. Let me remind you of this. Paul talks a lot about spiritual gifts in the book of 1 Corinthians. And in every instance in which he's talking about a gift, it's something that's been given to you for the benefit of others always. It's something given to you that benefits others. And in chapter 12, we're going to get into a lot more about what spiritual gifts are. Paul uses gift for the first time here in 1 Corinthians, and here's what he means. Your singleness has the ability to build up the church. Your singleness has the ability to be a benefit to somebody else. Now again, there's, there's giftedness in marriage too, so that's not putting it higher than marriage, but it's saying it has its own set of gifts that it brings to the church. When Paul says that it's better to marry than to burn with passion, I think he simply means that in the Corinthian context, they were all tempted to go to, to see the temple prostitutes. They were tempted to be promiscuous with society, and he says marriage in comparison to that is a better thing. So, you know, if that's where you're going to go, then consider marriage as the better alternative to that burning side of life. I do believe that every single has to come to, every single Christian has to come to the spot of making a very prayerful decision. And that prayerful decision is this. At your station of life right now, would God better be using you in your singleness or are you still considering being married again for another time and if it can be settled in your heart that yes i think god can continue to use me as a single dive into that find out all god has for that if there's some hesitation that you're going to walk that tightrope in which you say i know i'm single right now i'm going to take full advantage of that but i'll continue to trust god with my my life in which i i may be married one day and again i know i have less than full control over that But that's going to be one of the more things that I'm going to trust God on. All right, I want to apply this issue of singleness to the church today and remind everybody, singleness, again, Christian singles around us, they don't deserve our pity. That's not what they deserve. They deserve to be welcomed, valued. They deserve to be loved because they're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the church should be grateful that single individuals are with us and we should be including them in all the activities and all the leadership of the church The church, as much as possible, should be a place in which singles and marrieds are hanging out together and they're spending time and benefiting from one another. And if you're single today, if that's where your station is, at least for this aspect of your life, consider that a benefit. I I know it may not feel like a benefit to you, but it's a benefit in the economy of God. It's something that God has given you for this stage of your life. And so lean into that. For those who are married well, we need to correct our perspective because single doesn't mean defective. Parents, if you have children here today, then you need to once again give your children over to the Lord and say, Lord, it's not my ultimate ideal for my child to be married. I want them to be close to you. And again, I would challenge you this, parents, and I challenge myself. I still have a daughter who is not married, and I challenge myself with this. What would it be like if God said, Brian, I have a different path for your daughter? It's a path maybe along the lines of Mother Teresa. It's a path along the lines of an Apostle Paul. It's a path along the lines of John Stott. Would I say if that was God's path for my daughter, oh, that's not good enough. That's somehow less than. And it's a challenge to me to say, Lord, I need to trust your word more than I do the culture and say, whatever you have for my daughter is going to be right and good. I need to trust you with that. Church, we need to watch our language because again, we have a lot of ministries and a lot of opportunities that include families with biological kids and we need to make sure that we're talking broadly in which singles are a part of all of those things with us. And why do we do this? Well, because the family of God is that big. The family of God includes singles and marrieds and widows, divorced people. The family of God includes people in all stations of life. Here's where I want to end today. Singles, we love you. Wherever you are in your singleness today, we want you to know that we love you. And we support you today on that aspect of the journey where God has you. We don't know the future. We don't know exactly what God's doing with you. But right now in your singleness, we support that journey that God has you on. We love you. and We want to put our arms around you and say, you are a part of this church. Father, We believe that. And we know there are times in which society says one thing and you say another. And so we need to, again, correct our thinking today. That singleness can be a very good thing. And can be a calling that you have upon life for individuals. And for any single that's here today, there's a benefit that comes to them as a result of that. I pray that they would be able to lean into that and celebrate that. For we as a church, we want people from all stations of life to be rubbing shoulders with each other and benefiting, growing by understanding each other's challenges and perspective. So today, Lord, lead on. and You uh, help us be the church that recognizes you as the ultimate Savior whom we all want to draw close to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.